Welcome to the latest installment of the Sharp Best Ball Pod, episode number three. My name is Todd Burrows. You can find me on Twitter at Best Ball NFL. And today I am joined by Rich Rebar, also of Sharp Football Analysis. And you can find him on Twitter at Lord Reeves. We, um, I did an article this week on how to leverage early best ball and to take advantage of uncertainty. And one area of uncertainty that you can take advantage of is by understanding team needs. Rich does a huge series for Sharp Football Analysis, team by team. It's an agonizing process uh, from what I have seen. And um, a lot of them are already up on the sites. We'll have all of them up by the time the draft goes off. Rich is going to cover that with me today. I also hope you do check out the article. I talk a lot about how to leverage the uncertainty um, early with free agents and um, early and later up until draft day on the rookies and why that is how you can get really great value. So check out the article. And now we get to the main part of the show. Rich, it is nice to have you on the show. Yeah, Todd, it's great to be on with you. Uh, I've enjoyed the first two shows with, with Hayden and TJ. I'll, I'll try to live up to uh, the standards that they have set here, these opening two shows. Yeah, I, um, <laughs> you know, A, I, I know you can, B, I know you will, and C, I know that they're good. And mm-hmm. I'm excited that I've been able to start with such stellar guests for this series. So, um, you've been doing the team needs articles for a while. Can you just take us through a little bit of your process and the things you consider when you're doing this exercise? Yeah, I mean, it's all relatively easy, you know, just looking at the rosters from a top-down stance, looking at, you know, player performance where teams are strong in terms of, you know, actually having good players in context of the NFL. Uh, And then layering in some other things like, you know, contractual depth, you know, where teams need to kind of look for some maybe like potential, you know, values. Uh, That's where you get like a lot of like late round picks, right? Like you're just trying to get, you know, not necessarily trying to hit gems, but, you know, kind of get like that contractual depth, have bodies that are signed. Uh, And then looking at kind of the current uh, contracts that, you know, players have and things that are coming up where teams might have to calibrate, you know, like things like the Bengals, right? Like the Bengals are like an easy team to, to diagnose. They've got all these big contracts coming in the pipeline, how they draft over these next couple of years is going to be an inflection point based on kind of that, you know, Joe Burrow is going to get a massive contract. T Higgins will probably get at least a front loaded, you know, contract and Jamar Chase is coming. So it's really going to alter the way uh, they attack uh, certain positions in the draft too, as well. So just kind of looking at all of those things, rolling it in together and kind of trying to use that as kind of, a North star uh, in a sense to kind of say like, all right, well, this is the areas coming into this week uh, and this weekend that, you know, these teams are going to look at probably try to address some of these areas. Unfortunately, you know, trying to just draft for need all doesn't work out for NFL teams uh, because the hit rate is so low, especially as we move on through the rounds. But uh, that's really all of it in a nutshell is taking that 10,000 foot view of just really seeing where the rosters are uh, in the landscape for all these teams. Yep. And then if you're drafting, obviously what we're going to try and do is we're going to try and look at the available spots and who's likely to take players when they pick and try and get a a, a guess of where some of these guys might slot in. And, you know, we've done a couple mock drafts here. 
Uh, I think everyone on Twitter is now tired of mock drafts and ready for the real draft. Uh, but what we can do is we can look at some of the really good spots, right? So, for instance, you use the Bengals. There's been rumors Joe Mixon might be asked to redo his contract. If he doesn't, he could go. So, you know, based on that, we can say, all right, which guys are they likely to add here? Are they, you know, are, do, do we think that they're going to add or do we think that they're going to, um, you know, just stick with what they have? And if, if, you know, to me, the Bengals obviously are a great landing spot for a running back. So trying to take some shots and drafts uh, and earlier, if you know that a, a situation, maybe a free agent ends up there, you can end up getting some really good discounts, correct? Oh, yeah, always. And this time of the year, especially even especially pre-draft, not just for the rookies, but, you know, ambiguous situations uh, from a top-down perspective are, are really great to take advantage of because uh, players are drafting in, you know, best ball or drafting in fantasy leagues right now. Like, no one likes uncertainty, right? Like, so they'll avoid players that kind of come with that ambiguity. And Joe Mixon's one of those. Uh, so you can either Joe Mixon could himself be a potential value. What if he does accept the pay cut, right? Like what if he does accept right. the pay cut coming back? And what <laughs> if they don't sign they, they didn't get any free agents? In fact, they left let his very successful backup go. Um, and you know, I've taken some shares of Mixon in the seventh round, uh, where I wasn't drafting him earlier, just kind of on a what if basis. Yeah, on principle. Yeah, you're gonna want <laughs> Even if you don't believe in guys, if you play in a lot of best ball leagues, you want to take shots on even guys where it doesn't look like a situation is going to work out in one way because it might work out in another way. Yeah, I mean, you look at it just like using the mix and example, like the Bengals are, are 26th and are you know, uh, analysis of draft value, like in terms of what they have to play with during the, this weekend in the draft. So, I mean, 25 teams have more draft capital than the Bengals. They don't really have a lot of it. So if they feel like, hey, we can either sign a veteran after the draft or we add some undrafted rookies and, you know, Mr. Mixon accepts this pay cut, you know, they could go in a number of different directions. But yeah, you always want to think about like those ranges of outcomes uh, and where like current ADP is. It's not always about the player. It's about, you know, where this guy could end up in August and where you can draft them now and where you can squeeze out just a little bit of those micro edges uh, along the way. One of the other areas that you can gain an edge uh, sometimes by listening to and sometimes by avoiding is coach speak. How do you balance coach speak with the rest of your thought processes? Yeah, I mean, it's not something I really hold in high regard that and, you know, team beat stuff, you know, but, you know, back in the days when I worked at NBC and, you know, I didn't do a lot of blurbing, but, you know, obviously I'm around all the guys and the process of how it gets done. And it's hard to find actionable stuff like you're looking for actual reporting and there's just not a lot of it. I mean, it's you get a lot of just kind of token responses from coaches. You don't get a lot of in-depth, you know, actual uh, actionable information, you know, from those guys. Uh you're trying to just sort through, look for some actual reporting to have some some insights. I think you get a lot more looking how teams are handling like the pre-draft visits and stuff like that. I think that that this time of year gives you a bigger signal than anything these coaches or GMs are saying right now, which is largely run of the mill, like responses that they've answered the same question 35 times uh, this week, probably. So, you know, I might look at like, you know, the team visit stuff because that gives you a better 
indication of where teams are going. You know, you look at teams like Baltimore, Buffalo, the Cowboys, the Patriots, the Falcons. Those teams have like had the most wide receiver visits of any, you know, types of class. It gives us a real indication like they're looking for players in these positions. The Giants, the Chiefs are right behind them. Uh, you look at a team like the Buccaneers, talking about an ambiguous situation. Uh, Rashad White is kind of a guy like is a glass half full, glass half empty guy in these drafts right now because he can catch the ball. He was taken with some decent capital last year. He could be in line to be uh, the bell cow running back. But you look at Tampa Bay, they've had they've brought in both B. John Robinson and Jameer Gibbs, the top two running backs of this class uh, for visits, which kind of says like, oh, are they maybe not potentially sour on Rashad White, but they want to add more to the position. You know, the Denver Broncos have had more running backs in than any team so far. And that's not just because of Javante Williams uh, and his injury as part of it. But like you think about Sean Payton and when he was with the Saints, they always took running backs. They always added running backs throughout the course of the draft. That's a team that added Samaje Pirine that we talked about with Joe Mixon. He's a guy that's getting drafted as kind of like a uh, a great like uh, wide receiver heavy open. Like a lot of people are grabbing Samaje Pirine because maybe early in the year he has a large runway. But what if he tumbles? Like if the Broncos add a guy like Jameer Gibbs, right, who kind of fits like Sean Payton style, that's going to sink a guy like Samaje Pirine, even if he is in line to kind of be like the, the two-down banger early in the season. Uh, all of those things you kind of look at, I think you get a lot more signal than that than you do out of any type of coach speak. Travis Etienne's another guy. The Jaguars have brought in a ton of running backs. They're looking at running backs. We know Travis Etienne's a guy that has flaws. Doug Peterson ties into the coach speak directly at that because, you know, um, they've talked about, you know, reducing Travis Etienne's workload. They don't want him to have the same workload he had last year, which was largely a byproduct of necessity on how the Jaguars had to operate last season. Uh, you know, so I'm, I'm looking at more of that stuff than necessarily combing through and seeing what like these guys are are really saying because they're really not saying a whole lot of anything. Yeah, I think that's a very, very good point. And the larger point is we do want to look for signals and there's different ways to do that. Um, <clears throat> and sometimes, you know, like with Rashad White, one signal is he just wasn't very efficient last year. Right. <laughs> um, and and th there's a lot more metrics out there now that can give us uh, key signals as well. Yeah, I mean, you look at Rashad White, and it's not all his fault. I mean, the, the other thing that ties into his situation, if they say, like, Tampa Bay doesn't take a running back and they just roll in with, like, him, they added Chase Edmonds, <laughs> uh, is from a top-down stance, like, the team is just bad. Like, the, the offensive line is a, is a disaster. We don't know if the quarterback play is going to provide anything functional. I mean, this is a team that was – second to last in scoring in the NFC last year, like already with, with, with Tom Brady. <laughs> right. Exactly. I mean, uh, you know, it was end of career Tom Brady, but um, it was still Tom Brady. And, you know, for me, from a, a perspective of, you know, I do take some Mike Evans and Chris Godwin because, you know, I think those guys are going to catch enough balls for their ADP, even in a um, in a bad situation, I think there's a floor there where you're taking them, uh, but you do have this situation where um, certain teams just aren't very good, and it's better to avoid them, um, and and that ties back into Rashad White. Some guys have a three down roll and still don't give you a, a big edge in fantasy if the offense isn't very good. Yeah, 100%. I've, it's something I've harped on for years in fantasy. Like, we don't have a lot of, like, true skeleton keys in fantasy football. We wouldn't have a game if, if they were they right. actually existed. But I am, uh, you know, a harbinger of drafting guys of, 
on good teams, right? Like you're like the teams that score the most points are going to provide the most fantasy opportunity. I try to avoid teams that I believe are going to be bad. And I always do operate in the range of outcomes. And when you're doing something like best ball, when you're trying to like extend your portfolio a little bit and you're getting more, uh, you know, people like these shares of players, I mean, you might incorporate some of those guys. You might come underweight still, but you're not going to completely ignore guys as much in best ball as you will, like in August when you're doing your redraft teams. Sure. Um, but because, yeah, I, because <laughs> because you're most likely only doing three to five redraft teams yeah. where I, I'm going to have 600 best ball teams. If I, you know, last year I had 600 best ball teams. It's a completely different dynamic. And it's one of the things, you know, this podcast is both for people who are new to best ball as well as people like us who are pretty ground in it. Um, it's a completely different animal. Yeah, so you're going to pick and choose, like, uh, like we'll just use Rashad White as, like, the example for this point. Like, uh, you know, if we're going to be underweight on Rashad White, but we're still not going to have 0% Rashad White, so we're going to need to pick, like, of our, our best times to get in on him. Is it right now, pre-draft, where some teams may be saying, like, oh, they brought in Gibbs, they brought in Robinson, they might be cool cool on him so is he cheaper now or is it going to be after the draft if they take one of those guys and he plummets right and, and he, he kind of takes a big time hit and then does become more of a value then where an injury can open the door for him maybe he's just better than he was last year and is a better performer uh, because sometimes like running back metrics aren't necessarily as sticky they can be influenced by a number of other factors so you've got to kind of try to balance that out well if we're going to if we're going to get in on Rashad White a little bit is now the best time, or is it maybe in next week the best time to get it on? Well, and and again, the nature of best ball is there's there are two different things. You need one strategy for early best ball, and you need one strategy for later best ball because they're you know the contests end at the draft, right? So that is one time frame, and then there's another time frame. So to take what you're saying, you know. A guy like Rashad White is a guy that I wanted to have ownership on because his price was pretty good, but it wasn't necessarily a guy that I felt the need to be 2x or 3x on, right? Um, and if when you read the article, you're going to see I, I give you four or five guys that I was buying real heavy, um, and they're rookies who were being taken – 13th round and later and free agents who were taken 13th round and later. And the reason was that uncertainty had driven their price down to the point to where if I'm wrong, it's not going to hurt me that much. Right. Yeah. My, I'm not, I, I'm not going to have terrible, uh, a terrible team. If my 15th round fifth running back sits on the bench, right. I, that team still has a chance. But a guy like Rashad White, I might lock into somewhere between 6 and 12% ownership where I'm either a little over or a little, a little under because he could go either way and you're giving up draft capital. Does that make a decent amount of sense to you? Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, it's always about cost, right? Like it, it is a, It's always going to be the, the driving force. It's all uh, about ADP, baby. I mean, it's all about where you're paying. And especially, like I said, when you're portfolio building. So, like, that, that the timing of when you're going to be in on these guys is, is so important. It's going to, and that's where the ebb and flow kind of changes in best ball versus some other formats, right? Like, because it's always ever evolving. Uh, whereas, you know, you're not going to draft your redraft teams until 
at, at the at the earliest, like early August, and everyone's mostly drafting like Labor Day weekend or after the preseason, right? Uh, so I mean, these best ball drafts, like you're following that constant wave of like where the news is going uh, and where kind of you know guys' prices are constantly shifting and altering, and kind of when do you want to get in? Do you want to get in high? Do you want to get in low? Or what you believe is high and low, um, and all those things. So that's what's really kind of the main catalyst for best ball. Yeah, I, I agree completely, and. You want to try and balance on each team your uncertainty. So, you know, for me, this is one of the things I don't hear much talked about much. I don't want six or seven guys on one team that all have uncertainty. But I do want at least two or three players in each draft that have uncertainty. It's kind of I always use the example of a mixed drink, right? If you don't have enough alcohol in it, the drink is worthless, right? If you have too much alcohol in the drink, it's not good either. You want to have that right amount of alcohol um, to where you have a good time and you also get where you're trying to go. <laughs> I feel that way about risk and um, uncertainty. Do you like that um, explanation? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm generally a more pragmatic, you know, fantasy player by nature anyways. Uh, I'm, I'm largely risk averse, but I mean, I definitely have like specific archetypes I look for. And then always, like I said, I'm always thinking like range of outcomes. I may not have a lot of conviction on a player, but it's easy to spot like the upside a player may have, right? So if he's uh, going at a certain point of a drafter, I'm like, oh, well, this is not being fully priced in like this, his upside range of outcomes, like I want to get in on this player. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and do that and add those to teams, but they're probably going to be teams like you said, where I started more or initially with the draft with more like stability where I could take that on. It's like, wow, if this guy does hit this higher end range of outcomes, like it's going to take this team from being what I believe is really solid and has a high floor and high upside to just being able to potentially shatter like the ceiling it has. Yeah, that's exactly how I feel. So one situation I wanted to get your thoughts on is the Minnesota running back situation. It's one of the key ones to try and get right right now. Dalvin Cook's still on the roster. They re-signed Alexander Madison for a, a pretty good-sized contract, you know, more than you would typically give to a back a strictly backup. They didn't give him that much um, work last year. You know, it wasn't like the situation with the previous management team there. Um, are you are you of the opinion of, hey, I want a lot of Alexander Madison right now, or the uncertainty has also affected Dalvin Cook's ADP, where he could perform whether he's with Minnesota or not. Do you like one of them, both of them, or none of them? <laughs> yeah, I think they both fit uh, specific builds based on who you drafted. I think Dalvin Cook right now is largely undervalued for a couple of reasons. Well, one, if he the, well, the, the big talk is like restructure, right? And we don't know what that means. We don't know what they're asking him to take in terms of a pay cut. But like, they're really he's really like an outright tough cut in terms of what he has left on his contract in terms of dead money. I mean, he currently has a fourteen million dollar cap hit this season. But he's 8.2 million in dead money. Like, is that six million really getting them anything this season? Like, is it really restricting them? Probably not right now. Uh, and after June one, it could be up to nine million, but that's only an extra eight 800k. Uh, so I mean, I think that he's probably early signals point to me that like he's probably still going to be a Viking or has better odds than the public thinks of still being with the Vikings next I year. I agree. 
And then he also was really good last year, the first two months of the season. And then the Vikings offensive line like outright imploded. So the final uh, nine games of the season, the Minnesota Vikings only had Brian O'Neill, Garrett Bradbury, and Christian Darrisaw on the field for 17 snaps total. Those three guys played 17 snaps together. And when those three guys were in the lineup, Dalvin Cook averaged 5.1 yards per carry. Uh, he had a 38% success rate, 3.8 yards uh, after contact per carry. 13% uh, of his runs gained 10 or more yardage. Then when those guys were all out of the lineup, everything cratered. 3.8 yards per carry, 30.6% success rate. Uh, only 8.2% of his runs went for 10 or more yards. Just everything dropped off. So is that necessarily like a Dalvin Cook performance issue? Maybe because you say, like, yeah, great players can overcome. But also no one was running in the, behind this offensive line. You look at Alexander Madison, too. He's been good when the Vikings have had to give him a lot of touches the past years. And somehow he always seemingly starts against the Detroit Lions. Like somehow all of this starts up against the Lions. But Alexander Madison's been outright really bad the past two years. I mean, the past two years, there's 74 running backs that have 100 or more carries. He's 68th in yards per carry, 45th in success rate, 43rd in explosive run rate, 42nd in yards after contact per carry. This is a guy that hasn't been very good outside of just volume which we understand from fantasy, like volume's the catalyst for running backs. But it's like, if you're not better than the volume you're getting, how good are you really longevity of holding on to that volume, right? That's what that, we talked that, about. That, that is exactly how I think about it, right? You know, I want talented guys mm -hmm. because, you know, like a, a perfect example a couple of years ago, um, who was the guy who had, his last name was Davis. He had, uh, he was in Atlanta and he yeah, had Mike been Davis. in Chicago. Mike Davis, right? And he had had a couple big games in Carolina and he ended up in Atlanta and the whole assumption was, well, there's nobody else. And you find uh, guys who don't play well, they find someone else, right? right. <laughs> you know, the, it, 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 you know, on one hand, everyone says running backs don't matter, but in the next breath, certain people will tell you, well, he's the only guy who's there. Right. And and I tend to avoid that those situations, maybe not completely. It, again, it depends on ADP. But Mike Davis a couple years ago in the fifth round oh, yeah. was a, a, a guy I don't think I took once. Right. right. In 500 drafts. I, I just didn't see the upside and I saw a lot of downside. Um, I agree on Madison that, you know, I keep hearing on Twitter and the hardest thing for me, Rich, in fantasy is hearing from people you do respect things that go against what you're thinking, right? It's easy to get oh, yeah. put, it's easy to get pushed by people. You know, if if someone you don't respect tells you something, you gotta, ah, you know. Um, but if someone you you do respect is saying, get Alexander Madison now, he's gonna be going in the fifth round in you know, once Dalvin Cook gets cut, I mean, that's harder to resist. Yeah, I mean, this this is always the toughest thing in fantasy, especially for my end, someone that's been in the, you know, not just in the industry doing projections and, you know, putting out content for consumers, but I because I want people to follow how I'm playing the game. I always try to put out advice of, like, this is how I'm playing it. So if you want to follow it, like, we're going to sink or swim together. And it's hard when you hear that echo chamber. Last year, uh, you know, I did early projections and I was really down on Cortland Sutton, right? 
I was like, ooh, Cortland Sutton's not really popping for me. This is a player that I kind of believe is overvalued as a real football player. And then, like, the echo chamber just kept, like, going. Like, man, Cortland Sutton's going to have a huge year, huge year. And then, you know, you start to hear it from so many people you respect, and you start bumping them up the rankings a little bit. Right, right. And, and you start you start nudging yeah. them up. And then then it comes out, and you're, like, sitting here in week eight, and you look at Cortland Sutton, like, you're like, damn it, I didn't really believe in this player anyways. And, you know, I kind of got influenced and, and kind of – And that's the worst. <laughs> The worst, you know, like if I really believe in a guy and he bombs, I never have a problem with that, right? I can use it as a learning, you know, if nothing else, it can be a learning experience of, well, why did I miss? Mm -hmm. But where I just sit there and literally want to bash my head against the wall is when I, my initial instinct was correct and I let someone else change my mind. And that is, you know, it's hard. It's hard to not be influenced, though, especially when you're, there's so many smart people here and there's so much data and everyone's combing through all these things. And you're bringing up even someone might bring up a great point, right? Like it's a great point that they're bringing up. Right. But uh, yeah, it's hard to to avoid it, especially because we're, we're going to be talking about these players from now post draft and we know these landing spots literally for five months. <laughs> So it's hard not to let some of that creep into your brain. June, July is the worst time to draft because, or it it can be good too, but because there isn't any real news, we see player moves that are based really on nothing other than everyone's bored. And, you know, so we decided that this guy wasn't good anymore or that guy is great all of a sudden. And, um, you know, by resisting those kind of moves. Now, the other side of that is I've also shut off things I shouldn't shut off. Right. Because you do want to be open to having your mind changed. And Mm -hmm. so all the more for me, I focused on, you know, I want to either I've started going back and watching a lot more tape. I want to see it. Right. I, I, I know I don't want to avoid numbers, but I don't want to just go by numbers and I don't want to go by tape. But if I think I'm missing something, I really want to go back. And like with Cortland Sutton, I avoided him last year. I barely have any this year. I just don't see the guy getting open. Right. When I watch the game and I've played him in daily fantasy, I, I'm always like, why aren't they throwing to him? And then I'm watching him and I'm like, he ain't open. Right. Um, It ties back into your good teams conversation. We also want to draft good players. Yeah. I mean, a hundred percent. And if so, like an example of a guy right now, that's like at a really tough inflection point, um, I believe is TJ Hawkinson. Right. Especially when you're talking about not underdog, but on FFPC where, He's going in like the third round uh, because and he you know, was going a uh, mid second early in early drafts. Right. So TJ Hawkinson is a guy we know that there's a perception that he's talented. He was the seventh overall pick of the draft, but so far in the NFL, he there's nothing that stands out from him that he's actually like a like an above like really baseline player. Like absolutely nothing shows that he is. But then he goes to Minnesota last year and he says like all this buckets of volume that drives him. Uh, and in the situation really hasn't changed for him. And it, maybe it changes on Thursday if the Vikings take a first round wide receiver, but like the Vikings haven't really added anything. So you're like, all right, he can easily run this back. But what if the Vikings have a better run game? Like we talked about, what if those three linemen are healthy and they run the football better? What if their defense just isn't the worst defense in the NFL over the back half of the season and they don't play in as many 
like crazy shootouts and the volume just kind of gets reduced that way. Is he a guy that is going to let down at his ADP, especially at a position like tight end where like it's easy to miss big at tight end, uh, especially in the early rounds. Like not Travis Kelsey has been like the one Gibraltar, but like we've all got some really bad tight end picks on our ledger, especially in FFPC. Oh, um, absolutely. <laughs> and, the, and FFPC is where most of my money goes. Right. I, uh, because the each best ball draft is one hundred and twenty five dollars yep. versus FF versus underdog. Yeah. That's five or twenty five. Yep. Um, it, it, you know, it, it just it adds up quick. And I did 60 solo last year and uh, just in the late best ball. Um, so, yeah, I the other thing that uh, you I, also I gotta start with player, though, first, I believe the biggest trap, like I said, we don't have a lot of skeleton keys. But if if the argument you're making for a player selection starts with situation and not the player himself, I think you're already going down the wrong road. You're already, I, I agree. You're already moving yourself into an area where it takes it. Dalton Schultz was a guy like this last year, right? Like everyone brought up Dalton Schultz and uh, you know, never, no one ever started the argument with Dalton Schultz, the player. No one ever right. told you anything about Dalton Schultz, the player. It was always about a situation. And that's like immediate red flag for me uh, when the, when it's like that for a player. So. And, and now he's like four or five rounds later where you look <laughs> and you say, you know, he, he is open. Right. I mean, he's the guy when I watch the Cowboys that he's open, I still am having a hard time taking him at his current ADP. Um, let's let's um, let's go to the quarterback position for a minute, because we're all interested in the rookie quarterbacks. So as we head into and then out of the draft, the most conversation seemed to be on the quarterback position. But historically, the rookie QBs can struggle. Yeah. Of the teams you have reviewed that need quarterbacks, what spots are you most excited to see a quarterback land and which spots seem troublesome, even if a good rookie quarterback lands there? Yeah, I mean, it's always tough because these teams that typically have these draft picks where these uh, immense talents go, they're there for a reason, right? <laughs> you know, you once in a while get a situation where a couple years the 49ers trade into pick three or the Chiefs move up and they take Mahomes, but it's not like any of those guys – provided like rookie value anyways but typically these teams are picking here because they're bad uh and they're taking these players so i mean you look at at both teams carolina and houston one two there is a great squint and see it situation with carolina but there's also like a huge signal like this is a team that's gonna have a great they have a really good uh young defense and they've got a really good offensive line They've got Doug Peterson. They signed Miles Sanders. Like, this is a team that's giving you a huge signal. Like, they're going to try to run the ball and play defense in 2023. They have Adam Thielen and DJ Shark and Terrace Marshall. Like, this is – and Hayden Hurst. Like, this is not a team that's probably looking to drop back, like, 600 times at the rookie quarterback. No. And they might be in a position where they don't have to be because their defense is good enough. They're in the right division. All these things kind of line up to where they can play some kind of bully ball and get away. Houston just is structurally like a nightmare. Like I have, there, there's really nothing. There's really no signal the Texans have given us the past three years that shows like what direction they haven't tipped their hand in like what direction they're trying to do. Uh, this they have this team is like really just devoid of talent. They, nope. Nobody loves washed up vets for a team like that's rebuilding. Nobody loves washed up vets more than the Texans. Yeah, I've always made the correlate. If you saw the movie like Major League and like how like they were trying to build the team in that, like just like sign guys the one-year contracts. You know, like the, the, most of these guys didn't even have a career. Like they're like, this guy's dead. That's like what the Texans have done for three years. Just like right. just sign. Yeah, it, it does, <laughs> and now you're hearing they might not take the quarterback. 
Um, I mean, I I don't get great signals from them. Yeah, it's very tough. I would say like the teams that you're probably looking at largely to maybe be kind of wild cards, like uh, you know, Tampa Bay has like some weapons, right? Like they've got some good players and some players that are talented, and they probably are gonna have a team that's gonna have to throw a little bit more. If Washington would get in the quarterback race, like they're clearly a team, like if a quarterback would fall there, like their team, Seattle. Uh, is another one of those teams like what if Geno Smith really did, wasn't strong the last eight games of the year last year? What if they take a quarterback at, back at six? Like then there's pressure to play that guy earlier if Geno struggles, right? Uh, they've got really nice, nice players and surrounding offensive talent. But a lot of these spots are bad that you look at, you know, uh, Tennessee. We want anybody that, that's going yeah. to Tennessee. Uh uh, it's rough, man. It's just really rough out there. Um, the Colts are another roster that is just really hurting. Like it, there's just not a lot of talent there. You're hoping that, that Shane Steichen can kind of bring some of what he had with Jonathan Gannon and the Eagles, but like the infrastructure is just not as good. This is a significantly worse team than what they had in Philadelphia. Um, and at then least they have some weapons. They at, do. At, at least Pittman, I, I think Pittman's a player and we know mm-hmm. Jonathan Taylor can be a player. And uh, I may own more Jelani Woods than drafts. <laughs> I, yeah, I like uh, that. I like Jelani. Yeah. Um, I, I, I mean, the right division, too. When, whenever you can get a guy that you could at least see being a top five tight end in the 17th, 18th round of even FFPC drafts, um, that, that's something that I'm always going to be pretty interested in. For me, that takes the conversation over to something you know well, the Konami code. And uh, when, when I draft rookie uh, quarterbacks, a lot of times I want them to have that running floor. And I think a lot of people assume that running quarterbacks have big ceilings, but what the running does is it gives them a good floor. Mm-hmm. In, in other words, even if they have a bad passing game, they can give you 12 to 15 points because they run for 60, 70 yards. Um, And and it also brings us to um, one of the most controversial people in the draft, um, AR-15, Mr. Richardson. What are your thoughts on him and his ADP? And uh, and then the last thing I'll throw out is I think the Raiders are probably the the spot where I'd like to see a rookie quarterback go. Um, I I was a big Jimmy G guy, but uh, those days have passed. And I, you know, whether it's Herndon Hooker or uh, Richardson, both guys can run. I, I would have a, a significant amount of interest in either of them if they ended up with the Raiders. Yeah. So Anthony Richardson, like, so rookie quarterbacks in general are just the, it's tough because they struggle. But at least with Anthony Richardson, you can find a path to say, like, how he could be fantasy relevant. Uh, just through his legs alone. What you're worried about with him from a best ball stance, though, is does he even play? as a rookie uh, and how many starts do you get out of him? If he ends up being a top 10 pick, it's going to be hard to keep him off the field, especially on a team that's, that's like relatively as a shot to not be good. Uh, you know, if, if, if a team, even if, even like say like the lions, right? Like a team believe like, Oh, well, Jared Goff, he can sit behind there. But if the lions who have real expectations this year start off like two and five, right. Or like two and four even, and like people are like, oh, Goff's like kind of playing out his career. Like we need to like they're they're just gonna hear about like, well, you took a kid this early in the draft. Like he's got to play. And if you look at quarterbacks, they they play early because of this. 
these these coaches and these GMs, they have shot clocks now, internal shot clocks. And like, we got to kind of see what these guys can do. And no one really sits anymore. Mahomes and Trey Lance are like the only two guys that have really sat in the last basically decade. And like, then you have to go all the way back to like Jake Locker. as like the only guy that like had tangible capital in the first round and didn't play as a rookie because of those reasons, because these teams, these teams always hear it eventually. Like, well, you put all this money into this guy turning the franchise around. We're not good. Let's get this guy on the field, start playing him. Yeah. Because uh, <laughs> most of these coaches and GMs are on a three year clock. Uh, unless you are uh, Nick Casario and you uh, puzzlingly don't know what you're doing in Houston. Uh, Bijan Robinson is the big name at running back and our mock draft expert, Ryan McChrystal has him going to Buffalo, but there's a lot of talk of him going much earlier than that. Where would you like to see him land? He already has a late first sec early second round ADP. Yeah, it's it's interesting because anytime uh, we were talking about this with Dan Pizzuto on our, on our show last week, and kind of wondering like, is a team going to reach into the cookie jar earlier than expected, or has there been enough signal to where like he's probably going to go like maybe mid to late first? Like we know he's going to go in the first round, but where and how high can he go? We haven't seen a running back go, you know, it, you know, extremely high since Saquon. Uh, everyone else, but we also have a guy that's like really thought of as like being that kind of elite talent, like Bijan is. I mean, you look at a lot of people's like big boards from a talent perspective, he's like two or three, uh, in terms of just like raw talent in this draft, but he's never mock draft there, too. So it's like, who's gonna like reach in? Is it gonna be Atlanta? Is it gonna be Tampa Bay? Uh, one of these teams, but I mean, obviously, we would love to see him kind of go to one of these good offenses like Cincinnati, right? Like, if he was to go to Cincinnati, then obviously that pushes like the door down we'd love to see him end up with philadelphia if he ended up in atlanta too that'd be really good from a fantasy stance because of just how good that scheme is um but those are kind of like the obvious spots it really matters though like kind of how early is he gonna go uh because it's hard to when you like mock do mock drafts or kind of find a spot for him like no one really has a clear need for him like and you're looking at like the first like top 20 20 picks 25 picks no one really does. I mean, Atlanta and Philadelphia have both shown that they can get a lot out of running backs that are just like baseline level. And why reach, why reach with that much capital when you can, this class is good enough to where they can add guys in, on day two and day three to, to, to their depth and be really good and get a lot of production out of those players. Uh, you look at a team, like maybe the chargers, I think makes a lot of sense. Uh, not from, I wouldn't do it if I was the chargers, but makes sense for their situation. You've got Austin Eckler in the contract schism. He wants to get paid like a front end running back. He's 28 years old. He's also a guy that openly doesn't want to have a lot of touches and they want to reduce his touches. They've got a quarterback on a rookie contract. They also have the perception of believing they have a really good offense. So like adding another piece, uh, I could see them maybe talk themselves uh, down to that lane, but like, it's really hard to find a team that absolutely says like, yeah, he would go here and he's like a clear need for this team. Yeah. I, I think once you get, if he makes it past 10, then Dallas is on the clock. Right. I, I think once, whether they should or shouldn't doesn't matter with Jerry Jones. I think once he gets to the point where they can trade up without selling the farm, I think you have to consider Dallas as a place where he might add, end up. Zamir Gibbs and Zach Charbonnet are the next two quarterbacks off the board at ADP early. I've avoided Gibbs where he is going. Like, you know, he's going around where Dalvin and uh, Aaron Jones go. 
And I've just mixed in Charbonnet in the eighth, ninth, tenth round. Any thoughts on these two and where you'd like to see them go? Yeah, Gibbs, I think, is really hard from a fantasy stance because he's he's a smaller back. He's you know, he's sub 200 pounds. And typically these guys, when they come with draft capital and fantasy football, they're mo- largely busts anyways. Um, you, you need the guy to run into like the Austin Eckler run out, right? And it, it took Austin Eckler years to like Austin Eckler had to have years of efficiency to show that he was just too damn good to take off the field. And even then they don't want him to have as many touches as he's had the last two years. Tony Pollard's another example. Yeah, I mean, you look at Gibbs, uh, a lot of people comp him to Alvin Kamara, but he's 15 pounds lighter than Alvin Kamara was at the when Alvin Kamara was at the combine. That's significant for NFL head coaches. Like they have a hard time giving these like compact guys a, a, a just a ton of touches. And then Gibbs himself, like how Alabama used him was kind of like really tried and true and like how he's probably going to be used out of the box in the NFL. Uh, just 25% of his carries were inside runs. That was the lowest rate in this class. When he was hit at or behind the line of scrimmage, he averaged less than a yard per carry. He had the third lowest rate of yards per carry uh, on those carries in this class. They pulled him at the goal line. He only had three of the 16 uh, running back touches that the Alabama running backs had. And those are all things that matter in fantasy football because those are things that limit your ceiling. Like, we want guys to get the money touches. So he's a guy at his price point to take him over proven good players that have extended workloads is just really hard. Like you're, you're, you're really cutting, giving yourself thin margins for return. I'm glad to hear you say that considering how little I, I mean, I don't know that I have a share. Um, Yeah. It's really tough uh, there. I would say like, you know, a spot to where I think he makes a lot of sense would be a team we talked about like Denver, right. And not just making the Alvin Kamara, Sean Payton corollary, but like, uh, he fits there. Uh, shot the Russell Wilson threw to his running backs, the fifth highest rate last season. They just weren't any good in the passing game. Uh, so I do think he does make sense there based on kind of what they have early in the season with P Ryan waiting for Javante Williams to come back. Uh, and then what that scheme and quarterback does, uh, he does make a lot of sense there. Yeah. I, I feel like, um, uh, I saw a rumor about, um, him in Miami. And um, Miami has no draft picks, so that's I know. the toughest thing. The guy, about- the guy, the guy that I I'd like to see in Miami is uh, Devin A Chain. Um, you know he, you know that real one cut guy with just jets, right? All he has to do is make that one cut and go. Uh, I'd like to see Devin A Chain end up in Miami in the second round. Yeah, the Dolphins are one of these people. Like you always see, like teams like what's like, one of these great spots for running back, and it brings up the Dolphins. Like the Dolphins have four draft picks. If they're using one on a running back, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, fair. Uh, it's tough. Uh, yeah, more likely, rolled, more rolled likely they'll guys. be in the Dalvin Cook uh, sweepstakes. <laughs> if he Dalvin gets cut, yeah, one hundred percent. That would be the avenue. But they only have four draft picks, and it's tough to really say. Like when we have this much limited capital, because uh, they have two picks on day day two they have pick 51 and pick 84 and to use either one of those on a running back given some of their needs especially on the offensive line i mean it's tough it's tough to say like you're they're doing they're making the right choice because both Mostert and jeff wilson were functional players last year like they can roll those guys out for another year and still have a functional serviceable running game especially that mike mcdaniel running game uh then taking one of those guys uh with pick 51 pick 84 it's a running back yeah, I boy, I'd love to see Tajay Spears if he drops, right? Um, yeah, Abana Khan does another guy because he's like mini Raheem Mostert. Like, you know, he, all his runs in college were outside zone runs. 
you give him a tarmac, he's gonna. I love go. I, I, I love him, but if you breathe on him, he falls down. Oh yeah, he, if you asking him to break a tackle, it ain't happening. No, no, and and you know I was soup. I mean, I had I think I have thirty percent Israel, but he was going in the nineteenth twentieth round on underdog for most of the off season. That's where I'm willing to take a chance on a guy like that. Uh, mm-hmm. Now you know now he's kind of going in like the thirteenth round. Um, no, thank you. Um, yeah. You know, I'll 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 wait. Um, wide receiver very polarizing this year, Rich. Um, any favorites that you have, um, and what are your thoughts on JSN as the number one guy? Yeah, I think it's pretty clear that he's in kind of like a little bit mini tier by himself. The question of JSN from a fantasy stance is, you know. How tight is the margin of, you know, does he does he have a ceiling that's Amon Ross St. Brown like or can he get to like that Cooper Cup level? We just didn't see him play a lot outside. We were projecting and we believe he can that there's talent there. I mean, this is a, this guy is a men's pedigree is a five star recruit, but he ran just 15 total pass routes over three years at Ohio State with two or fewer wide receivers on the field. Uh, he, 95 of his 110 career catches came out of the slot. So it still does take a lot of projection. If he ends up like Keenan Allen or Amon Ross St. Brown, that's good still. That's really good. Uh, but is it like going to like tilt and win like a league for you? Can he get the Justin Jefferson range of outcomes, the Jamar Chase range of outcomes as a rookie? Be one of those guys that like has a, a tide turning season for you, uh, as a rookie. Um, so it's going to be probably landing spot dependent where he goes in terms of, target share is what kind of quarterback plays he have what kind of system is he in uh because his style of play especially coming out of the box uh lends itself to that especially with the nfl now i mean we see the nfl they're not playing much, very much man coverage anymore uh they're not playing uh they're not blitzing a lot you're getting a lot of that too high safeties i always jokes like my grandma knows what too high safety is now because she's heard it over the last past two years so many many times and he's gonna thrive in like that area i mean the nfl is really like a yak space game now uh, and that's where he's going to be really good out of the box. So we want him to land with a functional scheme and functional quarterback play right away. Um, the most polarizing wide receiver in the draft is Quentin Johnston. Um, I happen to like him. Uh, I was not drafting him early, but now I see him dropping into the 10th, 11th round of drafts. That's where I'm willing to take some shots on a talented guy who definitely has some flaws in his game. He's, he's an interesting player, too, for sure, because, you know, he's kind of like everyone sees the glass half full, the glass half empty. But what we just talked about, JSN, I think actually helps Quentin Johnson. One of the things is he's, he's bigger than the other guys at the top of this class, but he plays like a he plays like a little bit of a smaller game. He's more of a good guy that's going to get like into space, break tackles and is really great after the catch. And that's kind of what's really good in the NFL right now. Uh, so I think that gives him a little bit more upside where people kind of pick away. Like he might not be a true alpha in the sense of winning contested catches and winning these 50, 50 balls and playing down to a size as some people say, but with what's really good in the NFL, I think gives him an Avenue to kind of hone like the best of his craft. So, you know, if he's in the back of the first round, which a lot of people have had him go out, but you look at some of these teams picking back there that are running like a shorter passing game, like the Minnesota Vikings, right? Uh, our team he can slot in against Justin with Justin Jefferson and just kind of clean up uh, a lot of stuff there the New York Giants are a team that have a really shallow passing game to rely on yeah I would love I would love oh, so you are a, uh, a Giants, I'm a Giants fan, fan and then the obvious um, one is the Chiefs right because the Chiefs had with them moving Tyree Kill last year 
really changed their approach to offense. They had a Patrick at his lowest eight out of his career. 56% of his passing yards came after the catch last year, which is the highest rate. And that was seventh in the NFL. Like he kind of really fits that too, where he can be one of those guys there too. So that back uh, first, I still think gives him some landing spots that make him pretty interesting. Yeah, I agree. And there's a lot of guys like that. Um, all right, let, let's just uh, really uh, ask you this and then we'll get out of here. Um, based on your team needs study, is there any teams that you think might surprise this year? In other words, a couple years ago, the Bengals, you know, they had Joe Burrow, they had Jamar Chase two years ago, and they were, you know, by hindsight, they were really cheap. Um, now, you know, is there a team out? What? Are, okay, let me put it this way. What are the two or three teams you think are most likely to take that next step where the guys are cheap, but they could be someone we're talking about as a top offense next year? Yeah, it's 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 interesting because obviously if you have this like you know kind of you know clarity like you know saying like oh the Bengals are make this jump it's yeah it's like you're gonna make a oodles of oodles of money but it's tough to land those kind of uh th- those spots and stick that plane. Uh, I don't like a couple of teams that I definitely think are better than people believe. But one is the is the Browns for sure. I mean this is a team that probably was two Indeed. kind of fluky plays away from making the playoffs last year. Um, they're not necessarily cheap, like, but I do think that the, their top guys are underpriced. I think Nick Chubb is underpriced, especially um, right now in early drafts because everyone's taking wide receivers heavy. Maybe he'll climb as the summer goes on. But uh, Nick Chubb, if you look at like what Kevin Stefanski did last year, he had his highest rate of runs against light boxes. He had the most runs with three or more wide receivers on the field of his career. They lost Kareem Hunt, and people don't kind of realize like Nick Chubb was like a kind of a true workhorse workhorse last year. The depth isn't really good there. Maybe they add a back, but probably no one nearly as good as Kareem Hunt was, even though he was kind of like a ghost of himself last year. Um, Amari Cooper is always kind of perpetually undervalued. Deshaun Watson's going to – I think Deshaun Watson, by the time we get to August, will climb because he's the next guy after you hit that firewall of quarterbacks that yep. is the archetype of what you look for, a guy that can be mobile uh, and definitely has passing upside too as well. I, I don't love this team because I don't like the system they run, but I will say like all their players are cheap enough and they're talented enough to where maybe you can talk yourself into the, the Steelers guys having a season that's just better than we believe it can be. Um, Cause the guy like from a talent perspective, like they have enough talent yeah. uh, in the range of outcomes. Like there's a range of outcomes where Kenny Pickett's actually good. There's a range of outcomes where George Pickens is actually good. We've seen Deontay Johnson play better than he was last year. We know Pat Fryermuth. Uh, is the talented player. We know Najee Harris is at least potentially talented. And Jalen Warren's the opposite of what we talked about with Alexander Madison. Like Jalen Warren was a really good player that didn't get a lot of touches last year, but he was really good at the touches he got. So like he fits me more as like the zero RB kind of guy. Like I want to take a shot on. So I don't love Matt Canada. I kind of hate what they do on offense. I'm not high in Kenny Pickett, but like there is a range of outcomes where I have to tell myself internally, like, there's enough talent here to be better than I believe it is right now coming off of last year. Got it. Well, I love the Browns call. Um, my two most owned quarterbacks are Dak and Deshaun Watson for the, the, for the exact reason you mentioned, I want, you know, historically that second tier, right. Past the firewall, you get one guy who ends up being a top three quarterback, right. Whether it's Russell Wilson one year or Dak another year, 
you you do t- and last year that tier just completely died right Stafford was awful Dak got hurt and then wasn't very good um and I I think Watson is so cheap because he came back and looked so terrible I think people mm-hmm. are having a hard time rationalizing why he was that bad so they're assuming he is that bad but I feel like he can be what he was the other team I'll throw out and I'd love your thoughts and that that'll end it is I think the Bears can take a step. Yeah, the, the Bears, I mean, it all comes down to really Justin Fields' true growth. Uh, you know, and I had a thread on this uh, this week, not necessarily on Justin Fields, but top down on just how important, you know, sacks are on an NFL drive and kind of the influx, like, because I was talking about Anthony Richardson, who is, a, a, from a college perspective, elite at avoiding sacks. Um, and there's this great thread you can read on. I have all the data, like, last five years of uh, – you know, the drive performance for NFL teams when they do and don't take sacks. And this is a, a problem Justin Fields has had going all the way back to Ohio State. He was one of the worst quarterbacks at, at a, avoiding pressures uh, into sacks. And through two years in the NFL, he's been historically bad. Last year, he set the record for sack rate for any quarterback in an NFL season. It's not the accuracy stuff with Justin Fields. It's can he avoid the, the crippling the crippling sacks and loss of plays. From a fantasy stance, it's going to be largely fine because he runs around, although I will say at his cost, uh, there's some risk there because uh, now that he's really expensive, he's the kind of guy you bet on where he had the cost of last year and kind of question the cost that he has this year because he, he has to make so much growth still. Um, but there definitely is a, a range of outcomes where this all comes together like the, it did for the Eagles uh, in a sense. Like they probably won't be as good as the Eagles. I ain't putting the Bears in the Super Bowl. But we're adding DJ Moore like it was, you know, Josh Allen getting Stephon Diggs, Jalen Hurts getting A.J. Brown. Like this all could help him. But he's got to gotta do better job at avoiding sacks. Yeah, I I, I like that. I, I think that um... – you know, if you just look at the games where they took the the leash off after I think it was week five, he was right there with the other top three quarterbacks in fantasy points above uh, average. And um, I, I do think his arm is, you know, is better. And because he does run around, you end up getting bigger plays because of, you know, all of a sudden Cole commits wide open 40 yards downfield. So um I was buying a lot of fields when he started dropping right before the DJ Moore trade. He was dropping into kind of Lamar Jackson, uh, Trevor Lawrence range a little bit. Um, Now he's back in the third round. And Mm -hmm. I I take a little because he's I, I want access to 40 point weeks because in these best ball tournaments, you know, that can win you a tremendous amount of money, right? That, you know, the guy who can get you that 40-point week. So um, I, I appreciate you coming on and your support for this podcast. I hope to have you on again soon. Any last thing you want people to look out for? Uh, nothing in particular. It's, a, it's just kind of a great week, right? Like we've, we're all tired of the hot takes and the kind of everything going on leading to the draft. Uh, all the, the hearsay, the, the, the new, uh, you know, the testing that they're giving quarterbacks, like all these things, uh, finally don't matter on Thursday night, right? Like we're in front of, it's at, at, you know, was it seven or eight o'clock Eastern? We're going to actually have players selected and going to places. We're not going to have to uh, deal with this. And we're going to have another wave turn in kind of these best ball drafts. 
come when you draft uh, immediately on Friday morning, every, there's going to be different. There's going to be a difference in ADP uh, for specific players. It's going to not just change the ADP for those players, but other players. And uh, I'm really looking forward to this next kind of bridge of the season. I, I agree. And it's my, one of my favorite times to draft because the ADP doesn't update on the site for like a week or two. Yeah, yeah. So you can <laughs> you can gain a lot of edge. And then people really haven't done the right analysis and you can gain a little bit of edge. Uh, but we will be back next week. We'll probably cover the uh, underdog tournament that's been released. FFPC has already released the details of their big tournament, which didn't change much from last year, which I'm happy about. That's going to do it for this week. Again, thank you, Rich Rebar, for coming on and joining us. And we will see you next week.